0: Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Today, we're going to continue to expose what is really going on in our schools, but more importantly, we're going to talk about what we can do about it. Our guest today is fully engaged in this battle for the minds and hearts of our kids. Her name is Kelly Shinkoski. She's a concerned California parent, a parental rights activist, and a school choice advocate who's been on the front lines of the national education debates on critical race theory, CRT. Comprehensive sex ed (CSE), all these, all these initials. Community schools, in particular, WSCC, which we'll talk about today. Social emotional learning (SEL), equitable math, and other concerns influencing and affecting the entire nation. She also has her own podcast, "A Time to Stand," that tackles these issues. Kelly, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me here.
0: You bet. Okay, so you know I have to ask it. You live in California the epicenter for the fight for most of our rights in America, most of our freedoms. And in particular, it's the epicenter for parental rights and the indoctrination of our kids. You witnessed these alarming trends firsthand uh, with your kids' education. When and how did you first discover what was going on?
1: Back in 2016 in the fall, I had already started seeing some red flags, but it was then that I learned from another parent at the school that the principal had eliminated the last approximately 10 minutes of the lunch recess and was doing a uh, exercise with the kids, mindfulness, meditation, and he was using a, a large Buddhist singing bowl. And this was a new program that I was not aware of. No parents were notified. And for me, having a very busy, active son, any elimination of lunch recess is already a Uh, disappointment, I guess. And so I ended up meeting with the principal and trying to figure out what this was all about. And that's when I first heard the phrase, social, emotional learning and educating the whole child. That's what began my journey.
0: It's amazing. That was 2016. Yeah, 2016. I mean, most of us weren't even paying attention to school. I had obviously I have kids in school. I had kids in school at that time. Now all of mine are through, three are through college. They they all have graduated from college and I've got one more my daughter who just graduated. My entry into this idea that our educational system was undermining our values and really transforming from uh, from an environment which would support our values to one which would, in many ways, stand in direct opposition to our values. But you knew about this in 2016 and got engaged at that time.
1: Yeah, I started staying up late and reading after the kids would go to bed, sometimes one, two, three in the morning, just to try and find out what social emotional learning was and what these programs were that the school was going to bring in, so that I could be prepared to meet with the principal in that next meeting and and describe what I had found and what I had thought about that. I was going to say that really catapulted this entire journey, but we experienced much more in the schools. And especially once we learned the sex education had changed in the state of California, that was December, 2018. So there was a whole other area of research. Yeah.
0: In some ways I feel so late to the fight. I mean, here we are in 2022, It does not surprise me, it won't surprise any of our listeners that California was ahead on this dismantling of our educational system. Sorry to put it that way. Um, We've got a lot of friends in California that are on the front lines and you're getting some wins. But what I love is, you know, you immediately went into research mode. Hey, I need to figure out what's going on. And then you met with the principal in those early days, 2016 and 2018, when you're meeting with the principal's. Uh, what what was, were those conversations like? Did, did you feel like you were making any progress?
1: You know, uh, I wasn't really quite sure about progress, but I was certainly presenting information that the school was not aware of. And it was very apparent that they had not done their homework before implementing these programs. And the first mm. uh, I had researched was called The Tapping Solution. Another program I researched was called Mind Up Curriculum, which is actually part uh, with the actress, or at least had been with the actress Goldie Hahn. And I was learning about those programs. Wow. And then I was seeing how many different ways it was implemented in the schools. It wasn't just the practice at the end of lunch. It was these programs And then apps, we had an app that we were told we needed to download from the teacher. And we were just told this was a communication app, Class Dojo. But we had no idea this was just another avenue for not only data tracking, but also for the purpose of introducing the kids to social emotional learning. There were videos on one side in the classroom that we were not told about that the kids were being shown as young as first grade taming the beast and all of these uh, ideas. And so we ended up opting our kids out Mm -hmm. with the help of a law firm.
0: So you had to get legal help from, I think, maybe Pacific Justice, that group. You had to get legal help in order to be able to opt out your children from these programs. Otherwise, they would have had to participate. Is that true?
1: That's absolutely right.
0: But I'm just stunned that, that parents need to get legal need to use legal resources in order to opt their children out of curriculum that you disagree with, even on free time.
1: Right. Absolutely. And not only that, but it was the so many different ways it was implemented. The videos shown in class, the tablets that the kids work on, the Google classroom and some of the documents that are presented in computer lab, uh, additional supplemental material and videos that teachers can print out. This was a whole learning curve for me as a parent. Back then when I began, I didn't know who to talk with at the school district, I didn't know what questions to ask. And this is the school district I had grown up in. I had gone there myself, the principal of our children's school had been one of my high school teachers. And to witness such significant changes over time and have to go through all of this learning of the ins and outs of a school district was unbelievable. But that's why so many parents, they really need these tools to understand this is really happening. And it's not just California. And then these are some things that parents really need to keep in mind as far as action they can take.
0: It's amazing too, I think you're right that this is not just a California problem. This is a nationwide program. It is an indoctrination through the union, so it's much bigger even than your local school board. But what I love is that you've kind of, you've kind of walked down this path uh, of discovery and now we get to capitalize on what you've learned so that we can reproduce this in other states. And I think that's the beauty of this, right? But what does surprise me most is that there are still parents out there that will say this, and you know this, I'm a little bit older than you, probably quite a bit older than you, but nonetheless, um, a lot of people will say, well, um, hey, I went to public school and I turned out okay. I mean, my kids are gonna be fine. I mean, how bad can it be? But what I've discovered is they are not teaching the same curriculum today that they were when we were in school. Is that what you found?
1: Yes radical curriculum and these ideas are not just staying within one specific subject they're being pushed and moved into every single category so where you might think okay well maybe this is just one piece of history class or this is just when the kids do this activity at the end of lunch it's it's being promoted through all subjects we're seeing math being changed we're seeing science change significantly and Teachers are being trained to teach through a lens. So if parents listening were to imagine putting on a pair of glasses, they're being taught to teach through a lens of various what's called critical theories or critical pedagogy. And then additionally, they're being told to teach through a lens of social emotional learning, which even goes beyond our nation and all the way back to the United Nations. Believe it or not. Wow.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we sound kind of radical now because we're telling parents that they have to get engaged. And, and, you know, and and quite frankly, most parents want to be able to hand off their kids at the door to the school and be able to trust that 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 school is, is on their side, sees us as the prime, number one, the primary educator. And number two, as the the folks that care most about the education of our kids, as a partner in this thing, I hate to use that term because I don't really. I, I view it as the parents are in charge, um, but you know we hand them off at the door. We trust that they're they're not going to be harmed there. But in essence, they're undoing much of the values and virtues and uh, belief systems that we have in our homes. Let's talk a little bit about those ideologies. Let's talk a little bit about what it means, the pedagogy. You mentioned a term that most people don't even know what that is, this pedagogy. What does that mean?
1: So pedagogy is the art of teaching. It's it's the the way in which a teacher does everything. So it's more important to pay attention to a teacher's uh, way of what their pedagogy is because everything that they do is through that art form or that lens of the way that they teach. And for example, if there's a teacher or a school district that believes in critical pedagogy, a lot of these I recommend uh, Dr. James Lindsay and newdiscourses.com to get a really scholarly understanding of this topic. But oftentimes it will include, for example, there's a school district in California and the teacher told the students. Um, parents and the students in high school, so this is ninth grade, that they were going to be learning about Romeo and Juliet. Well, that sounds normal. But then the teacher shared that Mm. she would be teaching this through the lens of queer theory, which is a completely different thing entirely. And then, uh, you know, for another example, we hear about critical race theory. So these are theories, Uh, individualized. And then there's also pedagogy, which is, again, the whole way in which teaching occurs. Um, In a school district in my county, they're teaching ethnic studies. And a lot of the source documents and content does include mention of critical race theory and what they call lat crit theory. So then it's very interesting to really peel back the layers of the onion in a way. The source documents for the ethnic studies class in my county, which is Monterey County, actually includes Foucault, which that's uh, a lot of times that that name is associated with queer theory and the the teaching of queer theory. And another uh, source for that class is Antonio Gramsci's prison notebooks and Antonio Gramsci was a Marxist, and he's often credited with um, the idea of hegemony, which is this ruler class and, you know, uh, this is a whole other subject of study. As you can already Mm. tell, I'm sharing things that many people may not have heard of, and it's like going and getting a degree just to try and figure out what your kids are being taught. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to hit this giant pause button. Right. I, I actually wanna I want to say, hey, we're not going to send anybody back to school until we figure this out because this is such a colossal mess. Um, and this lens, and this is why this is why I think it's particularly challenging for parents to figure it out. Right. It's because you do need to get a degree in this darn thing to figure it out. But that's why you're such a valuable player in this because you've discovered a lot of this stuff so that people don't have to dig as hard. But the thing that you mentioned is this, you're not going to see critical race theory on the curriculum. It's not like the title of a class. You're not going to see Marxist theory on a on the title of a class like you would at um, on a syllabus in college. You're going to see it woven into the way everything, it's like a lens, like you said, a lens that is put over the cover, whether it's queer theory or gender fluidity or race or whatever that is the lens by which everything is looked at and and um and taught is polluted by these ideologies so that they can cover it up right now hey we don't even have this on the curriculum you guys are fine
1: exactly and they will play games of semantics in regards to whether or not they teach critical race theory I believe personally, that's a bit of a game of semantics. And then also when parents go very trustingly to ask questions at their school district, I had one parent go to the school district and ask what curriculum was being taught for the new sexuality education law. And the school district responded, we haven't adopted a new curriculum, which is true because all the curriculum at that time that the parent asked was supplemental curriculum. So the parent would have had to know to ask what supplemental curriculum are you using to comply with the California Healthy Youth Act. It's unbelievable. And sadly, as I've already seen so widespread, the school districts are going at great lengths to not be transparent with families and with parents or to answer their questions honestly and comprehensively. But we have school districts that are going to great lengths to intrude via questionnaires and other ways into the lives and home lives of these kids and also their sexual activities and orientations. Red flags.
0: You know, I this is going to be, you're opening a lot of eyes for sure. Even though we've covered this topic, you're talking about things that haven't been talked about before. I think one of the things here, I'm our, our headquarters is in Colorado very similar to California, unfortunately. Um, Sorry, I say that with great affection, but um, they use outside sources. So what we discovered was they can, you can have all the curriculum you want. You can have this below ground pedagogy that no one knows about unless you really dig in about how they're incorporating these things in. But they also use outside sources and every single teacher has the flexibility to bring in links to youtube videos that you may that might be repugnant that might be completely out of bounds and and not age appropriate and you might never know what they're doing in that classroom because on paper none it's all it's all invisible isn't it
1: absolutely which is why many parents are filing public records requests and they're trying to figure out how to do so because They're just trying to figure out what their kids are being taught on a widespread scale. So what apps are being promoted to kids? What guest speakers come into the schools? What models are being used? Believe it or not, the comprehensive sexuality education has allowed for a creation, according to some documents I received, of models for these health classes that are graphic, and then there's role-playing activities and games that parents may not approve of. And so um, it's like trying to approach a company, and you're hoping that somebody within the company gives you an understanding of all the ins and outs, talk to this person this way, ask questions of this person that way. It's it's completely closed off and bordered to create this boundary between the school, the government, and the parent from understanding this. So it really erodes parental rights and involvement and it puts parents off to the sidelines.
0: Yeah. And most parents, as you know, you know, if you've got multiple kids and you've got a job and you've got uh, you know, a life you're trying to live, you've got a lot of activities, it's very difficult to spend the amount of time and energy necessary. I got pulled into this uh, about three years ago when, or I guess it was about two years ago when COVID hit. And I got to witness my daughter's remote learning. She was at the time a junior in high school, and I got to watch uh, what was happening in the classroom. I got to watch and see exactly the lens you're talking about. I got to see bullying from a teacher here, right here in uh, in the Pooter School District in Colorado. I got to witness bullying. I got to witness ideological shaming. Uh, but thankfully, my daughter is is very strong and she's very strong in what she believes. And she also is a pursuer of truth. So she was able to stand up against it. She also had me feeding her facts. Now we don't like to talk about facts, but I was feeding her facts and I was watching how the students reacted to these things. Um, I got to watch it firsthand. I will say this, that this, these secret conversations that are happening, right? Between adults and children, these activities and curriculum that's you know, underneath the radar. Uh, it's really damaging to the kids. Let's talk a little bit about CRT, about the use of the lens of race. What have you seen? What is that doing to our kids?
1: I've seen it firsthand in Monterey County, and I've heard from staff at school districts that are witnessing the divisiveness that this has caused. And not only that, but the pressure for great inflation. Which is a very real and concerning issue where an accusation would occur, and the teacher, in order to avoid the accusation, which they know is false, will inflate a grade unmerited just to avoid that. And what it's creating on tension, uh, uh, the tension in school districts, there's one in Monterey County called Salinas Union High School District, and there's students that have put signs saying um, stop white supremacy. And the irony is that in the midst of this, we have an exchange of radical ideology while educational excellence takes the back seat. And so some of these signs had spelling errors, even simple spelling errors. And it's sad because it's just evidence that kids are sadly being treated like puppets of an activist ideology being woven into their classrooms. Meanwhile, many of them cannot read or write or do math at grade level. There's been kids that are out protesting, and this is really what there are some teachers strategizing over how to achieve this. They want to, they've already tried to organize adults, but now there are teachers specifically meeting and strategizing ways to get uh, their students Um, Protesting and organizing, and to be these political activists for their own causes—that's
0: one of the things that's, I think, most troubling. Right, I'm not sending my kids off to school to become a an activist for some ideology that I may or may not agree with, that may not align with my own values, and that may not align with historical American values. Um, You know, we've got a real anti-American ideology. Right now, it's coming through the lens of race and gender and hypersexuality. I mean, there's a lot of different attacks on this, right? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about this comprehensive sex ed. Why is this such a big concern, in particular, with the, what our kids might be exposed to, especially in the in the younger ages?
1: This is a very big issue across the nation. We're seeing videos of. Pronouns, teachers wanting to encourage kids and what their pronouns are in first grade, masturbation lessons in first grade, uh, it, you know, graphic videos being introduced. But again, it goes back to where's where's the trail to this and what is the foundation? So if you actually look into comprehensive sexuality education, it will take you to the international planned parenthood federation the world health organization and unesco and unesco is tied to the united nations now the founding documents of of this actually describe that a key component is teaching pleasure and then when you look into the working definition of sexuality the new word in that phrase, the World Health Organization's working definition of this includes pleasure and eroticism. Mm-hmm. Another key component listed in the founding documents is sexual rights and sexual citizenship. And this is really important because when that forms the foundation of all the things that this teaching is built upon, it's It's very alarming what they wish to expose kids to. So while it's marketed as age appropriate, that's what we're seeing also is the language is being hijacked. Age appropriate can be, you know, something to one person versus something to another person. And the organization, it's called Seekus. they're working to really try and require sexuality education in K through 12 nationwide that's what they want and it always comes as a mandate cuz people aren't really wanting to accept this will you know on their own it's being mandated a lot of the curricula is graphic and it's medically incomplete and unbelievable but again it goes back to apps and literature a lot of graphic literature
0: I think one of the things that what I'm trying to do and what you're doing so well today is you are describing the magnitude of the problem. I mean, that's why this is important. What I've discovered is that you almost have to shock people into the reality and the truth of what's happening so that they will do something so that they'll stand up. I know that's, you know, a time to stand is your podcast, and I think that's, apropos, because it is a time for moral courage and action, right? This is not a time to sit on the sidelines. I can't tell you how many people still today do not believe that this is actually happening in their schools. They might be in a conservative area. And it's just laughable because we think of states like Texas. Uh, We think of states like Florida. Oh, this doesn't happen in Florida. Oh, this doesn't happen in Texas. That's just not true, Um, It is happening in Florida, believe it or not. Now, they're doing some great things with laws down there. The governor is taking control, putting the rights back in the hands of parents, and we love that. And we think that's a model which we can build off of. But the truth is, the, the tentacles of these ideologies run so deep, they even run to the CDC, don't they? Tell us a little bit about the CDC's involvement in some things in California.
1: And even nationwide. I found this over a year ago while looking through social emotional learning because they're both marketed the same way as educating the whole child. When I hear whole child or whole school or whole health, that sets off alarm bells in my mind because that is an ideology and an initiative of government control over every area, Mm. not just academic. And the CDC joined with a global organization called ASCD the formerly known as the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development the joint effort was at least stated in 2007 they brought key leaders according to them together in the spring of 2013 to convene and take this idea of combining education and health for equity so we're talking about educational equity and health equity. Now, when they say health or health equity, many definitions of that phrase are being again hijacked, where they believe that health equity also includes gender affirming health care, their Worth. terms, not mine, for youth. And, you know, recently Breitbart exposed a great link that everybody needs to see, not great in the sense of good, but important for the public to be aware of because the CDC already has a foundational ideology of joining with groups like the Trevor Project and many others to advocate for LGBT, T-emphasized, especially when it comes to youth, uh, Q+, and So taking that ideology, and as they're already, we're seeing across the nation, they're trying to develop a new standard, and they're trying to push legislation to advocate for this. We're seeing that in California under SB 107. And in in a sense, they want, in the full intended fruition of this phased-in model, they want health clinics on every school campus, and they also want to provide psychosocial support services and dental clinics. And you can actually go to the CDC's website where they have this model outlined. Someone can simply get there by typing in CDC and then WSCC model. And they go to the website and right on there is an interactive healthy school, or they're also called community schools. The concern of these is that they're founded already upon the ideologies of critical race theory, critical pedagogy, and social-emotional learning and comprehensive sexuality education. So those fit into this model. And key concern for me is the medical records on school campuses Mm. and the parents at the very bottom of the entire plan.
0: It's amazing to me just how integrated this all is. I mean, when you're talking about the CDC, you're talking about the WHO, you're talking about... Um, I'm sure the NEA, right? And the AFT, the the teacher unions, I'm sure they're all involved in this and it is centered around these ideologies. So let's, let's pivot and let's talk a little bit about what parents can do because we've got to get to a place where we're taking action that matters, right? What are some things that, and I know that you've, I think you've chosen to homeschool. Tell us a little bit about that decision and then let's talk about putting power back in the hands of parents and what they need to do.
1: Yeah. So at the end of the spring 2019 semester, our kids had been asking me to homeschool. I was previously, I've been converted. I was previously anti-homeschooling. So I thought wrongly. Uh, And I've since learned that homeschooling, to my surprise, is absolutely a joy. Mm -hmm. But I realized after we stood up at school board meetings and some of the situations that we encountered were not without, um, backlash, uh, that it was in our children's best interest to give homeschooling a try. Mm -hmm. So fall of 2019, what irony there is there, uh, that was the year COVID ended up the school year that COVID happened. So that was our first year homeschooling. We were already set and ready to go. And I had wonderful moms that have been homeschooling that I connected with. Many of them shared wealth of knowledge and support and encouragement. Um, mm. And then, you know, for me, I, not just for me, but also my husband, we're compelled to help others. We have so much information now yeah. that other people need to have and the reason why we continue in this is because we believe it's important to love our neighbors. And one of the best things that we can do is take those phone calls when a parent calls me from, a, you know, either this state or another state and says, um, how do I homeschool? And I can point them to, you know, where they can go. Or sometimes I get messages, you know, I'm not sure this is happening in our school district. Can you look into this for me? I don't know where to look or how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I walk them through it. And, you uh, homeschooling was amazing mm-hmm. to me because I had grown up in public school yes. and I was seeing something from a whole new light, but I got to see our kids really flourish mm. and their love of learning just still to this day, it, it is amazing to see. It's a blessing. Yeah.
0: Well, my wife- And it is
1: for me too, I used shockingly. to say, I, I, and
0: I agree, right? I used to say that my wife and I homeschooled and then I realized that my wife was really, she was the star. I was just kind of the PE guy or field trip dad, you know? But we discovered that homes the blessings of homeschooling, we, we did it in the early years before my wife had some health issues that made us uh, make some other decisions. The blessings from homeschooling to your family, to the health of your family, to the health of your kids to the support of your value system, life became a little less hectic because you realize you can get a lot done in less time. And it's not, it's not as daunting as thinking, oh my gosh, I have an eight hour day of teaching my kids. You can generally get school done in two, three hours, and you've got all kinds of room for exploration and other types of learning. Have you experienced that as well?
1: Yeah, it's been so rewarding. Um, it, I, I love the various curriculums and I love watching our kids just have that light switch moment where they enjoy something new or they get a new concept that maybe they were challenged by previously. And one of the things that I, always saddened me when they were in public school is that they did not enjoy reading on their own. And then when they got their new homeschooling curriculum all of a sudden, they were reading in their free time. I remember getting in the van with my husband, and the kids were quiet in the back. And I looked back and I realized they both were just enjoying a book in their free time. They weren't told to. And I took a picture of it and I just whispered to my husband, Look in the back seat. They're reading on their own. And they still do that to this day. And they're exposed to so much science. We go on field trips and all kinds of things. And truly it's it's wonderful to see. and I, I really think it's important at this time for parents to analyze, you know what works best for their family. Um, there's definitely protections and precautions that they'd want to be aware of, you know, opting out of all surveys if their kids are in a public school. And I think also, Um, It is a time for families to just encourage that family environment, because that's what I really see is under attack in this country is faith and family and the individual. And as we're able to cultivate that family and also encourage our children to think, ask questions, be curious, research, and be courageous. Now, as you said, that is exactly why I chose the name. It is a time to stand. And sometimes that means taking a risk. But you know, if we look back throughout history, if we look at the great men who fought for freedom of this country, we can really see so many people who took great risks, but look what it did. Yeah. And, and the outcome. So you just never know the impact of your one life or your one voice on another person. And I think that's important for our kids to see their parents acting courageously and speaking the truth in love.
0: Yes. I think that is the statement of the day is that, you know, to, we're, it's going to take moral courage today to stand up against these ideologies because the prevailing narrative is so strong. And our culture is one that we cancel anybody that disagrees with us, or we we silence people that have a different opinion or a different value system. And I think it is gonna take courage. I do think for those uh, considering homeschool, I think you should dive in, jump in on it. There's a lot of resources and co-ops and connection points. If you're worried about your kids being connected to other kids, that really is a, it's a fallacy because there's so many opportunities to connect with other families that share your values and that are going uh, going through the same things you are. And then I think for those who who maybe can't make that decision, whether they're in a single parent home where the mom has is holding down a couple of jobs and trying to do the best they can and they don't have the opportunity to do it, uh, there are people like you and and millions of others that are fighting for those kids so that they don't have to be indoctrinated into these things.
1: Yeah, and it's important to just stay aware Pay attention to those school board agendas and notes. Be aware of the contracts that schools are making. And certainly um, there's things that are still able to be opted out of. So while you have that freedom to opt your kids out, I know in California, they're starting to take away some of that. But um, if you're in other states, um, pay attention for this whisk model. That's one thing that's being slowly phased in. Mm. and. Uh, You know, here in California, it's already a $3 billion initiative for these community and healthy schools. So those are just things to be attentive to. Talk with your legislators. You'd be surprised. I've met with legislators and they're so busy uh, going to different meetings and advocating for a variety of things that if you bring evidence and you briefly, concisely share with them a concern they may not have heard it beforehand. Mm-hmm. They may be hearing this firsthand from you. So um, make those connections. And definitely, if if you're called to do so, consider running for office or school board or any of those things. Yeah.
0: Well, Kelly, we are super grateful for you. We're thankful for your organization, thankful for your podcast, thankful for all the years of research that you've done that are gonna make this easier for people to jump in with, with education, with knowledge. Uh, We're going to connect our audience to all of your resources and your podcast. Super grateful for you. Praying for your work, praying for uh, huge success as we continue to try and protect our kids. Thank you. You bet. God bless you.
1: God bless you too.